Hello folks and welcome back to Views from the 405, your March edition. Mm, have we stopped numbering it now? Are we on to double figures? I think we I think we might be on to This might one. be your double figures. I think this one. Yeah, I think this is issue 10 of Views from the 405. Wow. We made the big 010 since we're going for 100. Where's our cake? Um well, we we've got some nice lovely Jaffa cakes here. Nice. I'll, but, stick, I'll but, stick a candle in one later. But the uh the Jaffa cake biscuit cake um, debate is for another day, I believe. That could, yeah, we could. Uh, well, I think that has been that debate is over. It's been decided in the court of law, hasn't it? That's a biscuit. Yeah, no, that is a cake. Is it? Yeah, it? you don't know about this. No, no. Oh, I completely blasted my by. Do you want to hear this? this well, how they proved it? Uh, yes, please. Because when you leave a cake out, it goes dry, but when you leave a biscuit out, oh, okay. it goes wet. And what oh, happens yeah. when you leave a Jaffa cake out? It goes dry. Yeah. So there you it's, go. It's Irrefutable proof that it's cake. Anyway. Yeah, if you if you take nothing else away from today, then a Jaffa cake. What do you make of the uh like as a like a DJ Jaffa cake? DJ Jaffa cake. I don't know. It's not bad actually. But usually DJ names are just one word. DJ yeah. Jaffa. Yeah. My word. DJ Jaffa, yeah. Yeah. Or DJ Cake. DJ Cake. I'm surprised there probably is already yeah, a DJ there Cake. Be. There's a DJ everything now. Yeah. Could do DJ Jaffa cake as one word. Yeah, yeah. If you just say it quickly, yeah. yeah. I guess it could work. And we'll move on to some albums now. Yeah. Uh, what do you make of March? As it was a, a it was monstrous. We've had a tough time kind of narrowing it down to ten albums that mm. we wanted, and especially picking a top three. Although I think we agreed on our top two as the number three that we found difficult to pick. Yeah. But I that only means that we're blockbuster, chock a block with quality things to talk about this. Uh, month and we should have things to say about them since we like them so much isn't that right absolutely absolutely and i i've interviewed five of the artists we're <laughs> going to talk about so i should sound unusually informed this time uh so should we just dive into it let's let's dive straight up. uh what are we starting with as a Haley Hendrix, is that correct? Yeah, I think so. I don't know. She spells her name weird. H e y n d r i c k x but I can't imagine any other way to say Hend- yeah. than Hendrix. Let's go, so. let's go Hendrix. I need Hendrix to start a garden. Y. Yeah. And let's kick off. What do you make of... Well, obviously, uh, a lot of people are introduced to her through Untitled God Song, which is kind of maybe the most impressive song here in terms of lyrically and just being her on guitar and being bold and, and uh, brave and... Uh, making a point and having a message to her songs but then when you come into I Need to Start a Garden as a whole album there she shows a lot more like uh, pop melodicism and uh, a lot of kind of she has one long song called Worth It which I really like it's very Angel Olsen-y I mean a lot of this album is but I think that song especially reminds me of like Woman off Angel Olsen's last album Mm. Uh, and she has a um, not only is her style similar to Angel Olsen, but when she really opens up her lungs, she sounds quite a lot like Angel as well, mm. which I don't know if she'll enjoy those com- those comparisons or not, because it's hard. It's a hard shadow to live in, Angel Olsen. But I think I Need to Start a Garden is a very uh, nice introduction. I, I would have called it like a mini LP and saved the official debut LP for whatever she's going to do next, because this is only eight tracks, and I feel like whatever she does next might be even better. What do you think? Yeah, I, I would say I, I like its brevity as an LP. Like, yeah. uh, it's very unfussy, it's very focused. Um, and then you have that central Worth It track, which, as you say, is like, it's it's grand statement. It's a very singular um, cut from it. Um, I really like it. And I think there's there's an extent where the Angel Olsen comparison is instructive and in that um, her vocals and a lot of the sparseness of the instrumentation is very Angel Olsen-y. But I, I do agree that there is a point come to a point where you're sort of reducing how detailed and how inventive the this, this songwriting is here. Like some, what she, like her guitar arrangements are really clever and occasionally some stuff that I've not, there are some chords I've not really think I've heard before. And her, like her lyrics are really interesting as well. There's a lot of like cool imagery in there. Yeah. It's very emotive. Um, I think it's a tremendously solid debut. I'm, yeah. I'm a big fan of it. The central kind of titular image of I Need to Start a Garden is really fun because it's like her... Is it in the middle of Um Shalala, I think? 
uh, where she's kind of getting very worked up and kind of building up a head of steam and then she's like I need to start a garden as like a zen thing to chill her out because writing this song takes just as long I think the lyric is but then uh, inevitably she gets all worked up again when she's singing I need to start a garden too and yeah a lot of cool imagery um, you texted me to say how good it show your body and that is yeah. good um, what's this what's the repeated thing she says in that um Oh yeah, I am humbled by breaking down. Mm. The way she just uh, repeats that kind of over and over again towards the end, it just really makes you contemplate what that means and what kind of scenes that could have been inspired by. And um, it's just that's such a human thing in the way she sings it. She has a nice quiver in her voice. That she, I mean, she's very good at emoting, and I mean, her lyrics mm. are very much uh, play to that strength. So yeah, I think. I need to start a garden. Very strong introduction. Anything, yeah. anything else you want to add about Hayley? Uh, TLDR, it's a prime cut gold flake paint album. The prime cut gold flake paint album. You so if you if you if you appreciate what Tom Johnson has to say about uh, about folk music, then you're 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 in for a whale of a time. Nice. And has she been to the UK yet? I, don't, I haven't seen. I don't know. Actually, I've not seen any dates. I'd be interested to see her yeah. live. Is she? She's been announced for um, End of the Road, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure she didn't line up for that. Well, there you go. End of the Road. Yeah. See you there. With every other talented singer-songwriter out there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> when you're drunk near a sunset, look straight in her eyes. She's the quick glimpse of heaven, forgetting her. Let's run when you misread her fortune Don't misread the joke She's the note on your lampshade Alright, next up We have Edit Select with Cyclical Undulations Which is a hell of a mouthful <laughs> Cyclical Undulations It's yes. good, fun, good fun to say right. um, Yeah, this yeah. is one you brought to the table Yeah, my, my friend uh, Emma uh, sent this to me very, uh, com- I'd not heard of Edis Lip before, and I was like, it blew me away in first listen. To be honest, like, um, it's I guess it, if you had to pencil it down, it's minimal techno with some traces of ambient in there. Some tracks may go full ambient. Um, I, I I feel like these terms are reductive when discussing this sort of style of electronic album. Yeah, um, it's the thing we're going to come up against next month with Daniel Avery. Yes, as well, certainly are because this they have a lot of similarities. These mm. two albums in the way where Edit Select goes back and forth between you know kind of this glistening techno, very smooth, aerodynamic, very vibey. I don't know. I get. I kind of zone out a bit when I'm listening mm. to it in the best way possible, but because it just like facilitates that kind of high speed thinking I want to mm. say but I don't know if my thinking is high speed or not but it feels like it is when I'm listening to yeah, edit select yeah. and then yeah songs like Intragrain which opens it up with like pure ambient yeah. tracks and then you go into like that, that system of above ground in two state phase where there is a very low key um, beat uh, and there's the, there's pads in, the, in there as well and it's but it never loses this like translucence. It never loses that, as you say, that airiness. It's it's like spotlessly clean as it as it filters through its ten tracks, and it's just it's just incredibly well made, like very well put together. Sounds great. Um, could you could you dance to this? Do you think? Some of the tracks, yeah. I think Horizon Number Two is a pretty floor focused track. Mm. I don't know. I can't remember them all perfectly, but judging by the track titles towards the e i don't know if that's a if that's maybe just a like towards the e train but it could also be like a, a, uh, an a acid reference. house callback yeah you never know um, um i like that he also called the fourth track undualsion because i thought that was a mistake on on spotify but i've seen it everywhere now so yeah he's just fucking with people the, the album's called circular cyclical undulations and then he named the track un, undualsion like he misspelled it. Yeah. I don't know. That humors me for yeah. some reason. Maybe when when you're high and you get to track four, then it it just it just blares into one, and yeah. you start to starts to question your judgment. Yeah. The uh, more I look at this album cover as well, the more I'm thinking this is like a a subtle drug 
pushing kind of album because it's a very trippy album cover towards the e is the last track cyclical undulations i mean there could be something in that as well we are through the looking glass here people yeah but anyway if you want some like really good streamlined techno that's not it's quite heavy but it's not like pounding it's like i don't know how would you it kind of it's in this perfect kind of realm of being i guess Melodic techno. Melodic just, techno, if just, there is I'm such just, a thing. Just invented a genre. Yeah. Uh, well, there you go. Yeah. You heard, we, we're coining melodic techno for Edit Select. I'm going to edit my tags on my iTunes <laughs> to say edit uh, melodic techno now. Nice one. Uh, do you know where he's from? I think he's American. Oh, is he definitely a he? It's definitely a he. I think he's American. This is... I don't know if I... I always am tempted to find out more about the artists behind these things, but the, with techno and things like that, there is a certain kind of mystique that kind of helps yeah. uh, make the music more interesting in a way, so maybe I shouldn't find out. Uh, it's just I would hate to be calling it a he the whole time when it's actually a she, uh, and then that would be yeah, terrible. That, uh, that's fair enough. It is a he. So at um, least we know he's that He's also much. on Bandcamp, curiously, for an uh, electronic act. Yeah, I think a lot of people are uh, moving towards Bandcamp because yeah. it's, it's one of the better ways yeah. to distribute your music yeah, and get people to pay for your music as well. So hopefully more techno will show up on there. I know there's a lot of ambient on there yeah. um, because I have a friend who does a monthly ambient column on Bandcamp. So yeah, Aurora Mitchell's column on Bandcamp. Check that out if you're into ambient, random aside. Anyway, anything else to say about Edit Select? No, no, I think let's move on. All right. This uh, this is your one. This is a guy who means a lot to you. Yeah. It? So obviously, the my number one album of last year was uh, "A Crow Looked to Me" by Mount Erie, which was all about the death of his wife to cancer. I, I mean, it's and uh, so just pretty much exactly a year on, he's released the companion album to that now only, which does focus on the same topic about losing his wife, but it's told from like a whole new perspective, and you can kind of hear that he's um, healing as it's one year on. You, I mean, musically, A Crow Looked At Me was just just pia- pia- uh, guitar and a little bit of piano. This one immediately just sounds more, fu- more full. And it seems like music has kind of been his salvation in a way to get him through stuff. He, he shouts out lots of different artists he's talked to over the last year. He talks about having conversations with Wiseblood and Father John Misty backstage at festivals, leaning on Skrillex's tour bus when he's de- dead tired in the middle of the night waiting to be taken back to his hotel. Um, he talks about um, seeing and other art forms as well. He talks about a documentary about Jack Kerouac that he watched on a flight, and he talks about... Uh, this painter on the crow looked at me he did a song called about sorry maria which is a painting by a norwegian painter i can't remember the name of and on this one he has another one called two paintings by nikolai astrup which is basically just him describing the paintings or singing them as he describes them but then he uses those firstly the way he describes them is really beautiful and i feel like he sees more in the paintings than i see or he helps me to see things that i wouldn't see and then he uses those as kind of jumping off points to go into discussions of death and the inevitable topic that's always he was always circling back to genevieve his deceased wife and uh his um daughter and how her life would be so enriched if her mother was still alive but despite it still having this very very sad and emotional core i really do think that it's a much easier and lighter listen than the last one why haven't you listened to it yet um mainly because <laughs> with 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 these albums i remember I, I listened to a crow looked at me when i was well when i was allowed to listen to music at work i have since been banned um if you want to start a hashtag campaign free kieran uh, feel free, free. Kieran's ears. free kieran's ears on twitter feel free um and it sort of, it didn't it didn't ruin the experience for me, but I just knew it was in it wasn't the appropriate context for it. Um and then I went when I I 
when I went back and listened to it, just in my room, well, initially pausing about and then just like lying in my bed and listening to it, it was, it felt right. And uh, I've, it's been a busy few weeks for me, and I've just not had a, yeah. I, I've, I had a chance where I could just feel okay. I now feel ready to experience yes. Yeah. And it's this, it's a similar thing for like. Um, the Acrologue to me wasn't in my top albums of last year purely because I I struggle with albums like these to try and but I, I, it's, a, it's a flaw of me as a critic that I I, I struggle to try and like place them more no, to fit it, them is into Is it a flaw of you as a critic or is it a flaw as, of me as a human being where I try and quantify these albums and say this is I mean this is more than just a music album this is a man's you know uh reckoning with the death of his mm. wife and his grieving process like audible and yeah obviously it's not an easy listen even this one which i think is more open-hearted and more closer to being you know acceptance uh it's still a hard listen and yeah as you say there's not many situations where you're gonna sit down and and go, I'm going to listen to this really sad Mount Erie album. Now mm. you do have to kind of, yeah, it's lying in bed is basically the only time mm. when it makes sense. Or like, I listen to it quite a lot when I'm watching Arsenal because that's all, it's miserable. <laughs> or England, even worse. So I feel like I'm going to be wa- listening to it a lot during the World Cup when I'm watching England play. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I would still, you know, highly recommend it to everyone. Mm. At least one listen through. It's only six tracks, although some of them are quite long. Mm. Um, but yeah really interesting and he, he's got a sense of humour on this one which he definitely didn't have on the last one the title track now only which is one of my favourite songs of the year has this uh, um, chorus he's going through these really grim and morbid things and then all of a sudden he introduces this really jaunty upbeat piano chorus, chorus and sings people people get cancer and die people get hit by trucks and die in this really light hearted way like it sounds like it could be like a classic jingly piano song but you know it's not it's a fucked up death song as are most <laughs> of these songs anyway that's now only by Mount Erie and thank you Phil Elverham for continuing to let us in on this process I don't know if he's going to do a third album of this mm. that might be overkill at mm. this point I think at this point he should just go back to making really loud and black kind of <laughs> he did a black metal album when he did Winds Poem he should just do another one of those and then scream scream all the rest of his pain out Although I don't think he really screamed on on uh, on Wind's poem, he just used the guitar to make it really fucking loud. But anyway, <laughs> go back to doing something like that, Phil. I think that's the next stage in the process for you. Wow. As yeah, coming from me, Rob, your friend. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember still feeling like no, no one can understand. No. My devastation is unique But people get cancer and die People get hit by trucks and die People just living their lives Next up we have Camp Cope with their full debut LP Well I think the self-title was kind of billed as an LP But yeah this one uh, how to socialize and make friends definitely feels like they're I think they're billing it as their second album but in many ways it is their first because mm. the first one was eight tracks this is nine tracks oh, <laughs> but, uh, but um, the first one was written all by uh, Georgia the lead singer kind of before she met the other two members of Camp Cope so they were kind of the first album is kind of her solo songs fleshed out as a band whereas this how um how to socialize and make friends comes like 18 months later they work rapidly which is something i talked about with kelly when i interviewed her uh and yeah this time it definitely feels like a more full band when i spoke to kelly she's talked about how the things that happened in the songs she was there for these are all things that have happened since she's known georgia and how that really made her connect to the music a lot more and Although Georgia's voice and lyrics are going to be the thing that most people will take away from the album because her voice is just like this fierce banshee-like howl when she really wants it to be. And uh, lyrically, she's unafraid to talk about uh, all sorts of things. Like the opening song called The Opener is about their experiences as an all-female band in Australia getting stuck lower down on the bill, being told that there's not really many... 
um, girls in the music scene and that they need to get a female opener so they can fill the quota and uh, these kinds of things and um, then the third track The Face of God is about her dealing with sexual harassment from another musician in the music industry and no one kind of believing her because he didn't seem like that kind of guy and his music is just too good for them to accept that he does this kind of thing and how lonely that made her feel and uh, that's obviously the kind of the the thing the song that's stuck out from the album because of it's, it's been they've been so connected with kind of the me too and the time's up movement and i spoke to kelly about it and she said when that movement started happening it made them feel more com comfortable with releasing a song like the face of god and the opener because they knew that support was on their side and that they weren't the only other people who have been through this and that their songs themselves will help other people who have been through sexual harassment and things like that and then the other seven tracks on the album are all kind of very cool, whip smart, not necessarily political or heavy in any way. I mean, the last song is about the death of George's father, so that's heavy, but it's a really lovely tribute. And at the end, you can kind of hear her breaking down a little bit. And then the other songs are, you know, love songs, but not necessarily love in the terms of romantic love, like love for friends and family is throughout it. And I just really love their Quicksilver kind of lo-fi rock sound and uh kelly's bass playing does a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of mel melody and she because yeah i mean the way she plays is just so melodic and it, it she carries the tune a lot of the times and makes the songs really propulsive and brilliant and i just think they're a really vicious and potent band altogether even though they are kind of scrappy and this is something else we talked about with kelly they said they're not really that interested in making things perfect and i think they're actually suits their sound it makes them more rough and ready and you know tangibly kick ass and uh yeah they said that one of their main influences was hop along and you can definitely hear mm. that but they're like an australian hop along uh have you listened to it much yeah i've listened to it a few times uh it's grown on me quite a bit like yeah. i was fairly indifferent when the first time i listened but as with a i think this is especially common with you know, like scrappy indie rock stuff, if it sounds quite homogenous until you can unpack the individual yeah. uh, lyrics and melodies over time. And as you say, the bass, like Kelly's bass, is terrific for providing that like a certain jump to it. Um, what I think is always good with George's voice is that um, it just struck it struck me there. Thinking about it, literally just there was um, she. She sounds a lot like um, Will from Smith Street Band. Interesting, yeah. As like as like uh as that really sort of impassioned not 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 technically good but impassioned and yeah. thorough vocals and obviously both of them are Australian as mm. well. And it's they just it just really there's really compelling personalities that come across really well. Um I guess there are well, the Smith Street may be a bit punkier, um, but the, there's a lot of similarities there. Not Definitely. to not, not to sort of take away any agency from how good this album is. Um, and I just like listening to the lyrics. There are more and more sharper images um, come into focus, and you realise how powerful some of the stuff they're talking about is. But how direct as well is. Yeah. They don't really use many like um, they do try and obfuscate with metaphor or, or anything it's very direct and to the point which works really well yeah. given how propulsive the production is and i yeah. think it's, it's a it's a great album that's really i think it's going to be one of those albums that it grows on me over the course of the year as well yeah hopefully um yeah because literally they've said that the opener most of the lyrics especially towards the end are direct quotes of people of things that they've been told by you know men in the music industry mm. and actually this has kind of proved a little bit um T t contentious with Georgia around the time of the album release she was tweeting a lot about why is it only white cis men reviewing our album it's not for you and things like that which is a bit I mean come on um, I mean I understand you want this this is de like meant to empower lesser people but anyone who's a fan is a fan right I'm a huge fan and I'm a white cis man am I not allowed to be a fan mm. anyway I've kind of forget about that I still love them and I guess that's part of their they are very brash and they proudly announced themselves to be bitches in this one video interview that I saw. And yeah, I mean, they've had to be that way to get where they are uh, in the Melbourne music scene. And 
I think that kind of plays into their music. And mm. hopefully, they still haven't announced it, but when I asked Kelly, they said they're going to come to Europe for the first time sometime this year. Nice. So I'm hoping definitely get to see them before 20, the end of 2018. That would be cool. Um, so yeah, hopefully by then you'll be even more into the album as well. Yeah, yeah. Unless End of the Road announce them as well. Yeah, um, hopefully they will. And also on the first album they have a song about Lost and you were just saying how you love Lost so you should go back yeah. and listen to that one as well. <laughs> Speaking of End of the Road, another act that are performing there, actually there's three more, four (laughs) more. Eamon's playing. Hey, no spoilers. Oh, yeah. So the fifth fifth one is Yola Tengo, the third sort of uh, um, headliner headliner End of the Road. I think they're going to be on the same time as Feist, which is really annoying. Mm. But uh, yeah, Yola Tengo, New Jersey band, been same trio of them, been rocking away since they were wee things back in the 1980s so this is what their 15th album i want to say Probably. there's a riot going on um and even though it's their 15th and they've been doing this for over three decades they still find new ways to challenge themselves or as in this instance they were forced to, to into a challenge i spoke to james mcnew the bassist and the engineer for this album uh and he told me all about how the old kind of machinery and uh, uh what's the word i'm looking for equipment and <laughs> uh and software that they used to use kind of became defunct in the time since their last album so they had to get all this new kind of recording equipment and software and learn how to use it and so that kind of meant that they were in their recording practice studio kind of messing around for months and then they suddenly realized they had started recording an album and they carried on through the course of 2017 recording it it's the first time ever they've had no outside kind of production or input they would just kind of hold themselves up through the whole of 2017 and put together there's a riot going on which is like a it's not quite a double album but it's 64 minutes and it's 15 tracks so it's almost a double album and it's quite an interesting one uh, you're quite into it aren't you yeah i'm really into it um i think it's very i think i feel like they are it's quite effortless and i can see why some people would see that as a criticism but i really i really enjoy just it's the elegance of its flow like it, 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 it there aren't many with the exception of maybe for you too there aren't many like hook hook centric cuts like there would be in one of on like their nineties albums for instance. And I don't think it's up there with the best of their nineties albums, even the their Illinois stuff. Um but I do think it's worthy. Like there's a lot of interesting melodies. There's some cool shoegazy stuff in there as well as they've been um known to touch on in the past. And it's it's a very just a very pleasant album to listen to and hear. And I, I guess, like, even to unpack, like, some of the lyrics are quite cool. And just to, to actually, if you actually deconstruct the mechanics of the song as it progresses, it's quite cool and enjoyable. Yeah, I just think it's a, it's a lovely album. Yeah, that's very much the case. It's a lovely album. The kind of thing that bugs me is that it's called There's a Riot Going On, which suggests volume. <laughs> yeah. And we know from past experience that the other tango can get very loud and make these really long, epic rockers. So I was expecting at least one of those on here. I mean, finish the album with like a 20-minute jam like you used to. That's what I would want. But getting past that, yeah, there's loads to love here. I mean, aside from doing a heavy rock song, you've basically got every other version of Yola Tango here from the like acoustic, melodic stuff, which is a lot of it. And they've even got an ambient in a lot of places. Like the song Shortwave is pretty much an ambient song. Mm-hmm. Above the Sound is also one of my favorites. That kind of starts half ambient with all these different percussive elements. Uh, and, um, and then, yeah, it slowly builds into a very quiet song. You definitely feel like, when I spoke to James, he was keen to impress how terrible he thinks you know the state of america is and how there's a riot going on was kind of their escape from that Mm -hmm. their way of kind of it's almost like a bomb like that's probably why it's come out so softly is because you know that 
there's so much they hate so much of what's going on in their country right now that they just need to go away and do something peaceful and melodic and loving and there is a lot of love on this album even though Georgia and uh, Ira have been married for decades now you still feel like a lot of these love songs they're writing to each other mm-hmm. I think uh, like For You Too which is my favourite song on the album mm-hmm, yeah. uh, definitely just sounds like Ira's rededicating himself to Georgia and then and then Ash- Ashes comes after which is a Georgia led song which is just a really beautiful kind of very imagistic song about you know ashes and sometimes they don't need to go any more deep or complicated than that they can just perfectly uh, bring out this glowing kind of ashes imagery and then they do some other weird um, kind of experimental things like out of the pool which is kind of spoken word and if you read the lyrics written down they read kind of like a Thomas Pynchon novel (laughs) they don't make that much sense but they're they they work and a song like Esport is casual is like a really weird almost jingly uh Casio keyboard interlude I don't I don't know I asked him why they put that on there and he was like we just had that for ages and we liked it so we put <laughs> on there uh and yeah I I am intrigued to see what they will do in the live show if it will um be all kind of mellow like this and I know they have like hours and hours worth of amazing beautiful songs like this so that would work but you know when I see them live I want to see them rip a bit as well last time I saw them at the Barbican I think that was the last time I saw them they did like two halves of a set they started with an acoustic low like unplugged set they went off and they came back and did an electric set and it was fucking awesome so I hope when they play the Royal Festival Hall this time they'll do something like that again but we'll find out and then when they play End of the Road who knows I saw them play End of the Road before and they really did not give a shit about being headliners they played weird b-sides and they played autumn sweater in a really weird form it was like did not sound at all like the original so yeah they were just fucking around because i think they have a really strong connection with with end of the road they were they played there the first ever year they had it uh they played the 10th anniversary they're playing this year they probably played other times so yeah it's always exciting to see them yeah yeah. so yeah that's there's a riot going on by yo latengo And then uh, we're in the, the second half. Let's go to Frankie Cosmos and Vessel. Yeah, third studio album from Frankie Cosmos, who is the band kind of centered around Greta Klein, who has been recording songs as Frankie Cosmos for a long time. I think she has like 50 albums on Bandcamp that she recorded all on uh, just straight into her garage band from her computer. Uh, but this is the third studio album proper and... Um, you've said you found you're a bit indifferent to it, which is interesting because I loved Next Thing, their previous ones, so much. And then I started listening to Vessel and I was like, yeah, it's good, but there's not that many standouts. And then I just kept listening and listening and listening. And now I just love every single track on it. And it's it's only 33 minutes, but it's 18, 34 minutes, but it's 18 tracks. And um, I don't know, there's something about the way she writes songs um a lot of the songs are about two minutes long or maybe even less 90 seconds and but she's not interested i'm saying she because greta klein writes all the songs and they kind of flesh them out so she's not that interested in um writing choruses like hardly any of these songs have choruses she's she they even though they're only 90 minutes to like three three minutes 90 seconds to three minutes they have these uh multiple parts kind of complex arrangements a lot of the songs go through very different kind of sections like definable sections and uh, it's kind of a similar thing where when they when you don't have choruses obvious choruses it's kind of weird the parts that kind of seep into your brain and you find yourself singing along to and then you find that all of a sudden you know the whole words to a whole verse and uh, the whole verse can get stuck in your head at a time especially when she's telling a story or she has some interesting imagery and there's loads of that on here um have you gone back to it much i've been back to it once it is it's it's more to the fact i've never 
connected that much with Frankie Cosmos at any rate. Like, I, I think, I, like, in theory, I should like it because it's right up my street. But I've just never connected with it emotionally, and I appreciate some of the melodies are nice, and some there's some clever lyrics in there, but it's never just made an impact on me, and I've just never returned to her, her albums that much. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a, a fault of the album. It's just my one of those weird quirks that I guess each of us have one some albums that in theory we should is ideal for us, but we just can't connect to. It is kind of odd in a way that. Most artists who power uh, so, uh, music that's like two-minute bursts, they are really quick and infectious and get into you, whereas with these, they're only 90 seconds to three minutes at a time, but they do take multiple listens to fully mm. unpack them and realize how much is going on. And um, when I spoke to Greta, she talks about how a lot of this album is grappling. Uh, and what she means by grappling is like, she's laid bare her emotions and a lot of it is kind of retelling of these moments where she's come face to face with someone that she loves or she wants she wants to be with and she's um you know she's so unsure of herself and so insecure like a song like apathy uh finishes with the line um you could take me and my apathy and turn us into clarity and it's just that little couplet kind of is um encapsulates what's going on on this album it's a lot of like defining herself through her relationships and and looking for happiness from other people and um sometimes she finds it uh there's a song called duet which is a true like a pure love song it's even like kind of croonery uh could i could even imagine like frank sinatra on someone singing it and it's got like really cheesily sweet lyrics like i'm making I'm making a list of people to kiss. The list is a hundred years long, just you all night long or something like that. And it's just like so perfect. And um, and then she has these little 30 second songs, which are more like jingles and they really break up the album well. Uh, but I think the, the best songs are the longest songs where they do all these kinds of crazy stop start uh, things like Apathy, Jesse, the Ballad of R&J. And I think his, her band that she's built around her have learned really well how to accentuate what she's doing and and make her songs really exciting and sprightly and and jagged and and just so many inventive little keyboard lines and the guitar parts going in and out and different backing vocals and yeah i mean the song um being alive is a perfect example because they she had recorded that on her own years ago and then her band was like apparently at a show someone requested it and she played it, but she couldn't really remember to how to play it. But the rest of her band were like, yeah, that's a good song. So they worked out a new live version of it, and it became so good and such a live favorite that they've re-recorded it for this album, and it is just amazing. And that's another one where you can tell like she was relatively young when she wrote it, because the central uh, kind of message is being alive matters quite a bit, even if you feel like shit. And I don't know, it's so simple, but it works, and it's so true. And that's so true of so much of this album. And then it also has like really smart uh, and kind of funny lyrics like uh, I live in a condo it reflects your favorite movie movie theater though <laughs> and things like that and uh, and then songs like accommodate you can tell I love this album right <laughs> um, where she's talking about how she's got to learn to be less accommodating how she's um, dealt with you know fans and people just coming up to her and hugging her without permission and um, and how she's always rolling over for what people want and not standing up for herself. And she can kind of figure, hear her figuring it all out as she's writing these songs. They do sound like they've been sung straight off her diary page sometimes. And she said she's already written all the songs for the next album, but they're going to be touring through the rest of the year, so we probably won't get to hear that for a while. Anyway, Vessel by Frankie Cosmos, out now on Sub Pop. Highly recommended from me. And read my interview with her, because she's cool. My body is a burden I'm always Anyway, on to the last one before our top three. We have Soccer Mummy and Clean. So this is a kind of a proper first album. She had the 
thing called Collection out last mm. year, which was kind of a re-recording of a lot of her Bandcamp songs into a full band mode. And then we saw her back in January at the Lexington playing solo, playing some of these songs. But they definitely are kind of full band songs, even though they are kind of lazy, similar to Frankie Cosmos in their diaristic qualities. Um, but these are a lot of kind of more straightforward love songs sometimes she kind of put, uh, like uh describes her love in like uh animalistic ways uh, i think the first the first line on the whole album is something about you are an animal that comes at night or something like that and then she has songs about um uh star signs scorpio rising is probably my favorite song on the album and uh, similar to frankie cosmos again there's a lot of what Frankie Cosmos would call grappling. I don't know what Soccer Mommy would call it, but it's a lot of like, I need you, I'm feeling insecure kind of feelings and turning them into beautiful songs. Uh, have you listened to it much? Yeah, yeah, I have. Uh, I've listened to it quite a lot. Um, I think there's a really healthy balance um, here between, I guess, something like Frankie Cosmos or Hayley Hendrix, if we're going, because it been, it's been a, a good month for indie rock albums. Um, you've got a good balance there between the more um, not experimental, but more like laid back, more structured, uh, well less structured, sorry, um, styled tracks, and then you ha- have something like Camp Cope, uh, where you just have these really chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, um, anthemic, um, empowering, invigorating, you know, punch the air style rock tracks. I mean, you know, like cool and your dog and yeah, I just like some of the even like wildflowers at the end. You know, these are really like like songs you can get into. You get, and like when when we see her again and you we know the words, the crowd's gonna go yeah. crazy for it. And it's just a and it's it's really shrewd lyricism where yeah. it's I guess she always reminds me of like like a, a woman equivalent of like a John Mayer or a Ryan Adams and where it's very it's a very accessible form of romantic angst but it's also clever at the same time it's a really good balance between knowing instinctively when you hear the lyric exactly what she's talking about but there's still wit and depth there as well like she's a really clever songwriter and lyricist and i think she's obviously incredibly talented and with this greater access like to, to better production and better gear um, she she has come off really well. I think it's a really solid album. Yeah, I did. I said she does a lot of grappling kind of stuff, but also she's not afraid to give it back. Like the your dog, which you mentioned that mm. the way she spits out that first line, "I don't want to be your fucking dog," that you drag around is so fucking good. And I cool the way she's just like at the opposite end of the spectrum, where she's just completely like blissfully self-possessed and happy and not giving a shit about what anyone else is going to do and does this kind of breezy melodic indie rock thing beautifully yeah i think it's it reminds me of like a light-hearted waxahachie in mm, some places yeah. um so yeah if you like your female-fronted indie rock we've got lots lots for you this week Shall not I do done it? yet Well, we're breaking into the top three now, and we have DJ Ty's Still Trippin'. Yeah, who is a n- fairly newcomer. He's mm. put this album out on Hyperdub. Uh, this is firmly in the footwork genre. Yeah, uh, uh, unabashedly so. Yes. Um, I mean, following in the footsteps, if you may, of DJ Rashad, who a lot of people are keen to point out was his mentor, and he's kind of continuing on in this sound, but he's keen to point out that DJ Rashad died in 2014. I think he was only 18 or 19, DJ mm. Tay, at the time. So although he had learned a little bit from him, a lot of it has kind of is him kind of picking up the mantle and taking it on in his own way and pushing footwork as a genre to broader sounds, which is what makes Still Trippin' so amazing. Cause mm. It's 50 minutes of footwork, but it, do, it doesn't get exhausting or repetitive. Mm. 
he does so many different things. Um, you were one of the first people to text me about this and say how awesome it is. So yeah. what do you like? Um, I think what one thing is quite... I really appreciate it. It's both a homage to Tech Life, Rashad's label, and also a progression from it. So it's it's all the breakbeats, all the syncopated vocals and synth lines and everything like that that you'd expect from a footwork album. They're all present, but they're a lot. It's it's weirder than a traditional Tech Life album. A traditional Tech Life album does have a lot rooted still in rap and even some electro sounds and some bass sounds. Whereas DJ Ty has he's pushing for these. I get I I don't know what else to say them, but just sounds like that. They're not melodies. They're not anything. They're po- it's not even polyrhythms. They're just these these impacts. These very instinctive um, resonances that uh, and they work incredibly well. But it, it it's never purely for its own effect. It's to for atmospheric endurance, and it's it's it's. It's, so, it's such an interesting thing, and it does his own rapping and everything, mm-hmm. and on top of having some cool guest uh, work from uh, DJ Manny and DJ Lucky, other like sort of tech leave yeah. uh, alumni, and I think it's just a real, it's a real success in some way, and that he has, he references tech life and Rashad quite a lot. His Twitter bio is still a shout out to Rashad eight years, uh, four years on from his death. It's, I don't think we can under, underestimate. Just well, understate. Sorry, just how significant a hero Rashad was to Ty. Um, yeah, I, yeah I, I just think is this is a tremendous piece of work as well as an album. Yeah, uh, it's like with footwork, you can instantly tell when it's a footwork song because it has a very distinctive kind of skittering drum pattern. But none of the songs on this album sound like repetition, mm. even though they are all kind of using those hallmarks of footwork. Like, the opener 2094 is kind of a very quite gentle intro. Reminds me a little bit of um, the... Uh, what was your album of the year last year? Oh, Jalen. Yeah, it reminds me of the Jalen album in the way that kind of opens up with this melodic kind of intro before it slams down on you. But on... on um, on this, on DJ Tay uses like eight bit, eight bit sounds. Uh, he uses kind of electronica sounds to smooth out some parts, and also the rapping from him and from uh, Chuck English is, and some others. You have to be so dexterous to rap over yeah. this, and they do it so well. He's like perfectly loquacious and laid back, but are still on on the beat. And I don't know how he makes it sound so easy and so natural, but it really adds a whole other dimension to this album. And then the songs where he's he's uh, working alongside people like DJ Manny and DJ PayPal. Uh, I read an interview with him where he says when they're in the studio together, they're always pushing each other to see who can make it hit the hardest. And those songs are the ones that are the most mental and in, in their own way are the most fun. My favorite track on the album is the one uh, True with DJ PayPal, which mm. has this amazing uh, sample cut up into it as well, this female vocal sample. And it just is, a, a one, a, so one on one hand, it's kind of soulful with this sample, and on the other hand, it's like mad, erratic beats, and it, somehow it all works. Um, so I think Still Trippin' is... Could I? I don't follow Footwork that closely, but I obviously love DJ Rashad, and I like that DJ PayPal album from a couple of years ago. But I think this is the one that might bring it back mm. into where it was before DJ Rashad died, mm. when DJ Rashad released Double Cup in 2013. Uh, all of a sudden, everyone was talking about Footwork, and mm. I feel like it's kind of fallen away a bit. But hopefully, still tripping will bring it back somewhat. Mm. And being on a label like Hyperdub, you know, obviously famous for Code Nine and Laurel Halo and Burial. Uh, and it's a London-based label. I think London is a is a great home for. Uh, it, it's a very big proponent of all kinds of electronic mm. music. So uh, I think being on Hyperdub will help as well. Mm. So yeah, it's still tripping by DJ Tay. It's fifty minutes of crazy fun, and it might sound exhausting, but I say it's worth going all the way through, or just picking out some tracks, put on yeah. a few. They will pump you up. Yeah, I definitely. If you're on a Friday night, if it's pre-drinks or you're having, you're making dinner before you're going out, put this on. This will get you get ready for a night of dancing.
Um, yeah, so zooming through, we go to number two on our list, which is Eamon Dunes' Freedom. Yeah, Eamon Dunes or Armand Dunes? I was saying Eamon Dunes, but then when I spoke to him, he said Armand Dunes. Oh, okay. Damon McMahon. Is. So, uh, yeah, Armand Dunes' Freedom, which is his fifth or sixth album, but this is the one that's going to, you know, bring him to a whole new level of mm. recognition. And, I mean, he has brought... I loved his previous album, Love, from 2014, I think it was. But this one, that one was still very rambly folk, kind of obscured lyricism, kind of lo-fi in a way, whereas this one is lush sounding. It sounds so full. The bass lines are glorious. And, and he's, along with these new production chops and melodic uh, instrumentational and just general brilliance he's raised his lyrical game a lot as well and i got to speak to him all about it he basically talked me through the whole album because his lyrics are really detailed and uh, uh very imagistic and and they tell a story but the stories aren't necessarily obvious uh like you can tell a song like blue rose is about his father he's it's kind of an origin story it's the first proper song on the album and he sings about uh, when when the evening comes i go call up the band we play religious music i don't think you'd understand which is like a direct uh quote to his dad who never supported him was kind of an absentee father and his presence is felt throughout freedom um either it's amen at armand dunes reckoning with his past with his father like a song like skipping school he kind of embodies his father a little bit and talks about how he would skip school and do bad things in the neighborhood and then calling Paul the suffering. Paul is his father's name. So he talks, he's calling directly to Paul on that one. And I think he said that Satudara is the one that's most directly related to his dad. And that's kind of a, a kind of a hallucinogenic song where he's recast his father as like an Indian chief. Mm. And, uh, it's weird. Um, but then there's loads of other stuff on here too. Like Mickey Dora is one about, a surfer or, and I asked him why he wanted to write a song about a surfer he said he's never touched a surfboard or been surfing but he's he is a surfer uh metaphorically he likes <laughs> he, he uh he likes to write he likes their style he likes their gracefulness and he wanted to write a song about it and he found Mickey Dora who was this famous surfer who uh was kind of the bad boy of surfing so in this song he's kind of embodying that guy and his style his own his unorthodox style and then believe which is maybe the best song on the album is an ode to his mother who was diagnosed with cancer at the start of the recording process and uh it's kind of him looking back on his mother's life and coming to accept the things that she's done and and admire the way that she um she's kind of accepted her death and is moving along so gracefully despite being so close to the end um anyway i'll stop talking for a minute what do you think of it yeah i think it's fantastic um i think I just I, I really like albums that have that's not a, it's not quite a concept album, but they have a like a cogent through line like he has with his relationship with his dad and to a certain to that a certain extent his parents, um and it's lyrically it's astonishing, but it's the songwriting that it's just there's so many layers and it's so well textured that you can just tell this is like an instantly iconic indie rock album because of how well populated the production is and how well they harmonise with his gorgeous voice. Like I, I there's so much emotional pathos in, in his in his voice, but but there's there's also like levity there as well. Um and it, it, it's just it's just a, a tremendously thought through album with a lot, it it just covers whole bases basically. It, as as uh, as a work, it's incredibly well produced, but there's there's so much going on under the surface. There's a real emotionality. There's humour. Um, there's gorgeous imagery in times, and I, I think there's one. It's yeah, it's certainly up there as one of the the first truly great albums of 2018 as well. I think it's terrific. Yeah, um, it's very like Americana based mm. um but it's like futuristic and modern in the way it's produced uh i've seen it compared to the production compared to war on drugs and it's kind of broad all-encompassing americana as mm. i said but where war on drugs are interested in being big and muscular and writing rock songs Eamon dunes Armin dunes wants to write poetry and he wants to 
let that come out through melodicism and he's he's another one who's not interested in writing choruses he's only interested in writing songs where he can tell a story and although it's still really catchy and has lots of moments in it uh musically that will catch your ear even though if they're not choruses and um i just think it's such a brilliant and bold album that i hope they can bring to the stage i mean yeah it's it's quite deep um in terms of its production um it has a lot of layers of like washes of synth and stuff which are all quite subtle because at first it does seem kind of like it's a straightforward rock album you know guitar drums bass singer but there's loads going on even the bass lines are very playful and some are done on synth bass and I just think it's one that's really, really worth investing your time in, and mm. and it, it goes between darkness and light. There's a really dark songs like "Time," which is one of the hardest ones to uh, decipher. But he told me it's all about uh, it's all about the plight of the Jews through time. Jesus, <laughs> so yeah. Uh, but then at the end, it kind of focuses on this one character who's obsessed with pain, and he wants pain, and he wants to feel pain. And then there's a song like Freedom, the title track, which is, as we discussed in the interview, is not really a, a story, it's a feeling. It, it literally kind of does, it's like the sound of what freedom feels like. And it is just, it was him trying to write an anthemic song. So this is the one point where he does kind of have a na-na-na freedom chorus. And it works so well, it's so blissful. And so it just it makes you feel warm inside when you hear it. So yeah, I don't know. There's all everything you could want from an album except from like hardcore rhyme raps. Yeah. <laughs> but everything else. Next next time. Maybe. Next time. Uh, uh Almond June's Freedom. Yep. And last up, our number one album, our favourite album of March, we have Lucy Dacus. She said Dacus when I met her. Yeah. Historian. Yeah. Yeah. Lucy Dacus, you want to start on this one? Yeah. Um, so this is one of the ones we've been, we've, had, we've got into a, a habit recently of one of us interviewing someone while the other one does the review, just completely yeah. not planning it. Um, so you interviewed her and I did the review and gave it a nine. Yeah. Which I stand by. Um, I think it's, an absolute masterpiece. Uh, um, um, with her, her uh, No Burden in 2016, it was a very solid album. I guess I'd equate that to Camp Cope. Maybe a, um, in that is, you know, there's plenty of hooks. It's very likeable. It's very self-deprecating, but she's also very clever. Um, but this just feels like a step up. Um, both in the songwriting, both in the songwriting and the uh, arrangements available to her. I guess the the big, the most brazen example of it is Night Shift. The way the the last two minutes of that are just like screaming guitar, her voice on a different planet, just tearing you inside, and it's utterly anthemic. And I cannot wait to see it performed live. But it's 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 not just it keeps up that intensity through the album, even if it's not as explicit. When you have a song like Non Believer, and then. Um, like Time Fighter, these are very powerful, profoundly moving songs um, about a whole host of uh, different attitudes and ideas just filtering through. Um, I, I and the idea of, of how we approach past relationships and past actions and how we certainly revise them or look to them for comfort or look to them for guilt. Um, is is such a is again this is similar to image. It's not quite a concept album, but it's all centered around the central idea of the past as something that controls everything. I guess there's a quote from um, uh, Paul Paul T. Anderson's uh, uh, Magnolia, where it says, "What well, we were through the, with the past, but the past didn't through with us." And I think this filters through quite well into historian. Um, yeah, what, what do you think of it? Yeah, I love it. This is my favourite album of the year so far. Probably Almond Dunes is my second favourite. They're very close. And also, I'm only just realising this now as well, because we're talking about them back-to-back, -back, but where Almond Dunes is 
very male focused and focused on these paternal relationships lucy dacus is feminine and focused on female relationships like a song like non-believer is a direct mm. quote of a, uh, a conversation she had with her mother when she because she was brought up in a, a strongly christian uh, school and environment and this is the non-believer is a song about when she broke it to her mother that she doesn't believe in god and the quote she told me is exactly what she said back I'm not surprised, but that doesn't make it okay. <laughs> and um, yeah, that song, I fucking love Non-Believer. I've become obsessed with many of the songs on this album as mm. well as the album of, as a whole. Night Shift, as you mentioned, mm. the opening track and the first track to be released from this really opened up her sound and made you realize how much bigger and bolder she could be, both in terms of production, use of strings that are throughout the album. Mm. Her voice sounds better than ever. Like on Night Shift, she goes into her crazy falsetto which is one of the most unique and you know chill inducing voices i've heard for a while um and yeah and then not only is she great at writing songs but she's not another one who's unafraid to get honest and and talk about the dark times like pillar of truth is probably the big kind of showstopper on the album seven minutes and mm. it's all about the death of her grandmother and i asked her if she how soon she wrote it after the, her death and she told me she was writing it before during and after the whole thing so mm. that kind of tells you how raw this this song is and during the verses of that song she's actually kind of embodying her grandmother and speaking to lucy as her grandmother mm. and uh, and then there's more like other light-hearted things obviously relationships are a huge part of this night shift is all about the, the hook is i'll take the nine to f you've got a nine to five so i'll take the night shift and hopefully i'll never see you again <laughs> whatever and then addictions is like when you're addicted to a relationship the, the hook on that is uh, i'll call you and you'll pick up because you're not a quitter you've got addictions too it's true uh and then um and then sometimes it's just friendships like body to flame she told me is about a friend where she didn't know if they were tipping into romantic relationships or not. And and this, the, her friend told her this thing about how at the end of her li their life, they want to go and set themselves on fire. And it made Lucy realize how much she cared for that person and inspired her to, enough to write a song about it. And then a song like Yours and Mine is about her being disenfranchised in America, not feeling like an American citizen anymore. Like the main hook in that, this is this ain't my home any longer. Uh, and uh, and then a song like Next of Kin where the I feel like this is going to be a huge part in the live show is um, uh, uh, I'm at peace with my death I can go back to bed which is just sums up the whole kind of thing of what she's grown into in the process of making this album is like acceptance of life and its limitations and depression as, as being part of it and what can grow out of it and but at the same time she's also keen to emphasize that you don't have to be depressed to write something good as the song i think it's the shell uh it talks about how you know some people if she th feels like some people have to put them in themselves into a depressed state to make something worth hearing but that's not what she feels she wants to live her best life and write great music too and yeah with the help of jacob blizzard who's done incredible production and amazing kind of string work which she never had on and horns as well mm. which she didn't have on uh, no burden it really has expanded her sound and made it so much bigger and anthemic and you can s imagine her kind of uh, doing, putting on a big show on a main stage festival kind of uh set and uh yeah like you can see why matador snaps her up to put out her albums Absolutely. which is um she's a talent that's for sure yep and and I think we're both in agreement that it's our favourite album of 2018 so far. So far, but yeah. there's so much more to come. There's still plenty to come. Uh, anything else to say about Historian? I also love that it's called Historian because mm. it's kind of like she's writing her history through yeah. these songs. They're so personal and she's telling her story and uh, yeah, and telling the history of her family as well in mm. these parts with her mother and her grandmother. Yeah, definitely. And, oh, Time Fighter, we should definitely mention that because that's another song I've become obsessed with. Uh, the main hook in that is I fought time it won in a landslide <laughs> which is the way she sings it so ruefully yeah. and then the next line is I'm just as good as anybody I'm just as bad as anybody it's kind of this acceptance that no matter what you do we're all gonna die yeah. time is coming for all of us so fuck it live your best life and yeah the way she 
has wrought that through the song Time Fighter and it's a massively booming kind of crescendo. It's just mm. it's fucking great. That's uh, uh, just briefly mentioned the new yeah, preoccupations. I mean, we, we, yeah, we've been through 10 amazing albums uh, that came out in March and we had to cut several. Uh, you really like the preoccupations album. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's it's good fun. It's got some good tracks on it. Yeah. Um, I like that too. And I also spoke to him, whose name is escaping me right now. But yeah, you can read my interview with him as well, as long as my, as well as my interviews with Lucy Dacus, St. Armand Dunes, Frankie Cosmos, the other Tango, Camp Cope. They're all on the 405. The other album I like to mention is Cold Air by Drowse, who's like this Portland slowcore artist who's made an album kind of all about being holed up and addicted to prescription drugs. And uh, it's very heavy and beautiful too as well so that's out on the flenser uh cold air by drows i'd recommend that too but yeah i mean that's 10 albums plus two very briefly mentioned all worth checking out and we're already midway through april which has had a bunch of great releases yeah. already yeah i mean it's, it's heavy it's heavy but we'll get to those april releases next time we certainly will uh i i've been kieran and i'm rob uh you can find me at no not that devlin on, yeah. uh, on Twitter. And I'm at Temporaryism. And I'm still waiting for someone to tweet me, tell me where that's from, and you get a prize. I'm, I'm as excited to find out what this prize is as you do. <laughs> okay, yeah. uh, so we're off to watch a Man City fail to qualify for the Champions League. Semi-finals, yeah. Well, we'll see. Will Liverpool fuck it up? You probably know by now, listener. We don't. Well, if we're going to find out now.